When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nonetheless, it is Patrick Nosey Walker joining us here this morning on the scientific method. Uh, and, of course, he works for the one and only DallasCowboys.com. What's good, Pat? Damn, man. You're already in full offseason mode, huh? I can't even get my yeah. theme music. Yeah, I can't. I'm sorry. I don't have a theme music today, brother. Give me my theme music. I can't do it today. But <laughs> nah, I got you was... next time, fam. I got you next time. How we doing this morning? I know, man. I know. <laughs> oh, good. I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm out here um, just traveling a little bit out here in North Carolina with some family, man. Just stretching the stretching the off-season legs before the NFL combine and get jumped off. But, hey, yeah, yeah we got some, some things to talk about here. I want to pull you in here on yeah, our uh, – mailbag segment. I was just sitting here talking about this one question. I didn't even, you know, send this one to you, but I thought it was interesting. The, 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 uh, Ed, I think it's Ed Helinski. He asked this question, in your opinion, will it be a precision of a scalpel chainsaw or pizza cutter on how the Cowboys shape their off season? I thought that was a fantastic question. Scalpel chainsaw or pizza cutter, Pat? Oh, scalpel chainsaw or pizza cutter. Well, the scalpel is out the window because they're changing defensive coordinator, so it's definitely bigger than the scalpel. Um, and then you lose Joe Witt as well, so now we're certainly bigger than the scalpel. Um, but it's not as big as the chainsaw because same head coach, same offensive coaching staff, so no changes there. Uh, I, I go with pizza cutter. Pizza cutter, let's see the said. difference. Uh, yeah. I think that, yeah, there's definitely been enough change where you can say that they've carved some, you know, they're able to carve some slices out and, and replace them with some new ones, but when you talk about Zimmer and, and some of the changes that want to be made, you lose eight dirty as well to the Seattle Seahawks. So that's a big impact. You got to get a guy in here who's going to fill that void as well. But they do keep a guy like Al Harris rejoice. Everyone should definitely rejoice for that. Uh, but still a little bit of a shakeup coming because we don't know exactly who uh, Mike Zimmer is going to bring in. Uh, I kind of get the feel that he's had maybe one or two guys that might have been players for him at some point. Um, be it with the uh, the Cowboys or probably with the Cowboys because at that point they'd be old enough to uh, to enter the coaching ranks. So it'd be interesting to see. But of those three things, it's definitely not a chainsaw because the chainsaw mm-hmm. kind of invokes thoughts of a whole rebuild, and that's not what's happening. But it's, it's not as small as a scalpel because some major pieces have been um, either removed or lost. So, yeah, let's go with pizza cutter. I loved, I loved how you, you, you viewed this because I looked at it totally different. I said the pizza cutter because – Stephen Jones is always talking about the pie. So that's just how I looked at it. It's a perfect uh, fitting. It's well fitting. played. <laughs> this, I almost said, I, listen, I almost went with full bars. It was like pizza cutter because that's what they're looking to do to Kellen Moore, the pizza boy, oh, um, when they okay. face the Eagles. But I was like, I was like, you know what, let, let, me, let me come back off the bars. But thanks for giving me an opportunity to drop that, though, because that See, was in my head. I, was I, like, call, I, I call Kellen Wonder Bread because they call him Wonder Boy. I call him Wonder Bread. But, you know, that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> All right, let's oh, get man. let's get I to the second question. <laughs> let's get to the second question, Pat. And and I, and I like this one too, by the way. Shouts out to David on Twitter. He says, "How do you handle the running back position?" In my opinion, I would sign Zach Moss and draft another back in the second to fourth round. Where are you on Deuce Vaughn? Is he an afterthought, or could he still be effective if used right? So twofold here. First, let's start with the first part. 
Uh, how would you handle the running back position? Well, first and foremost, you have to decide, or I feel like you have to decide between Tony Pollard and Rico Dowdle. And the, the thing for me is I'm fine with keeping either of the two, but I don't know that keeping both of them would be the wise move because I want to see more brutality in tandem with kind of a change of pace guy. So if you're going to keep Tony and, and revert him back to the role of RB2 where he excelled, then you need to get him a, a brutal um, RB1, you know, kind of like Ezekiel Elliott was. And of course, my, my eyes go to Derrick Henry for that, that being another example. But then the same thing goes for Rico Dowdle. I don't, as much as I love Rico Dowdle, his skill set is not completely dissimilar from Tony Pollard. So uh, if you keep Rico Dowdle, then for me, that's my change of pace, my RB2. We've seen Rico come in as the RB2, and he, you know, made some, some waves in 2023. But then again, still need that bruiser at RB1. I would keep one of those two guys for continuity's sake. They've both shown that they can be effective RB2s. you got to get you an RB1. I say you go into the draft. I'm sorry, you go into free agency and you get you an RB1 if that guy's name is a Derrick Henry. If not, then maybe you look to the draft to do that. Um, either way, I think there's a major shakeup. Now you're talking chainsaw. Okay, there's mm-hmm. a chainsaw coming to the running backs room, in my opinion. And going to the second part of the question, which is the Deuce Vaughn variable, I mean, we all want to see Deuce Vaughn do more and be more and be given more opportunities. But we also have seen that in the opportunities he's been, he's been given, he's not really lived up to what we feel that he can be and what the team feels that he can be. And that's why he ended up, you know, on injured reserve for the most part. So, and inactive this for a lot of his rookie season. So you got to wonder, like, at this point, what does his second training camp look like? Can Deuce Vaughn beat out Malik Davis? Hell, he beat out Snoop Connor who was signed on a, a futures deal. So, I mean, that's a variable as well. Um, but then, you know, I look at the draft, and I feel like this is a, a, a draft where you can get a very good, possibly a starting running back without using uh, uh, one of your first two picks on it. I mean, it could be uh, a late day two, early day right. three, and you can get somebody that, that's quite effective, like like the kid out of Michigan. Uh, and I, I tweeted it when I was watching Michigan play in the in the college football playoff. You know, that guy is somebody that I would love to have in Dallas. And I know Dallas Cowboys fans are like, oh, no more Wolverines. Okay, just relax. (laughs) Don't blame the school, right? (laughs) We hold the player accountable, not the school. But that's just an example of what I mean. Going into training camp, I think that this this running back's room is going to look wildly different. Um, I would prefer that it look wildly, wildly different from what it did a year ago. Yeah, my, my answer, and, and the fans know this. Here oh, the and then show. Hunter Lipke. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've got love to Hunter. So, Hunter Lipke, he, yeah, Hunter Lipke, he started to come on as the season progressed. So, that also is going to present a bigger challenge for the likes of Deuce Vaughn and even Malik Davis as well and even Snoop Connor because it looks like Hunter Lipke is starting to find his, um, his groove with Mike McCarthy. And if that's the case, then now Hunter becomes – de facto RB3 slash fullback duties, and now you're really having everybody fight for RB1 versus RB2, but there's to me, there's not an RB1 on this roster right now. you got to go and get one. Yeah, L- L- the Lipke thing definitely throws a bit of a, a wrench in there, but he, he comes around to, for me, I believe it when I see it, because, you know, look at training camp, I thought Lipke was going to be a guy to hand the ball off to. Then we get to the season, he became a guy that was going to block, but they didn't really ask him to block a whole lot So until the end of the year. So he's a, he's a weird case to me. I'm going to keep my eye on him, though, in the offseason for sure. 
but but you know what's what's true. That's true. But it's also true that 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 thought process also applies to Deuce Vaughn. That thought process also applies to uh, Malik Davis. That thought process, of course, applies to the new guy coming in, Snoop Connor. Uh, and even when you go upwards and you look at the top two spots coming off of the 2023 depth chart, Tony Pollard, right? You know what Tony Pollard is as an RB2, but as an RB1, even coming out of a full season of him being RB1, we still are looking at Tony Pollard and saying, you can be an RB1, we'll believe it when we see it. You're looking at Rico Dowdle and saying, well, we've seen, we've seen that you can be effective as RB2, but we don't know if you can be an RB1, believe it when you see it. Every single running back on the Cowboys' current roster, that logic applies to, and that's why there needs to be a major shakeup because there's no one you can point at and say, that's my guy, and then you can figure out the change of pace from there. So they got to find the guy. Yeah, I, I, so for me, I look at the running game, especially in Dallas, as instead of RB1, RB2, I look at it as RB duo or RBBC, like a running back by committee. Because I'm a, I'm in I'm of belief in today's age, it is more so about two guys or a stable of guys. And the old adage of having one dude that's going to get you 25 or so touches a week in week out is mm-hmm. over. But I also believe it starts with the mentality of running the ball, and the Cowboys don't have that to me. So you know, while yes, I, I'm this is my plan technically for the actual position. I would sign a vet running back, and then I'd draft a guy on day two or three of the draft. Uh, but, but more importantly, man, I need that to have, a, to, to have a plan come with it. I need that plan at the position to complement each other. You know, as much as, you know, Tony Pollarico, Dowdle, Deuce Vaughn, I don't think that was a, a great complementary uh, position group. Yes, Rico Dowdle is a hard, tough runner, and Tony's a slasher, but you thought maybe Lipke could be the guy that could be the 230 guy he handed off in the red zone, but he never did it much, right? So it really didn't – it really wasn't a complimentary room. So for me, I I would like them to have a true plan and also complement the room. So that that could be a whole bunch of different things. You say, well, maybe you bring back Tony, but you complement him with with the power guy. You bring back Rico, complement him with another guy. Hell, even if you draft a guy in day two or three, maybe you sign, you know, somebody that's a complimentary piece to that uh, afterwards. But I'm more about it's the how, not necessarily always the style of runner behind the line. Because if if you don't block it up and if you don't really have a plan in running it, you just will look like, how to, in my opinion, how the Cowboys look this year. I felt like, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I felt like to me, Pat, they viewed the run game as a throwaway option. It never really was a serious, they were unserious about it. And when it was time to really run, they, they couldn't because they didn't really know how. So what, what happened? Now it's all on four, it's all on 88. And if that fails, there's no insurance. And I didn't like that. Right, and you make an excellent point. And let me let me clarify that I actually am right there with you as far as it being complimentary. When I say there's no one in the room that you can look at and say that's the guy, I'm speaking just to the to the task of RB1. And yeah. I go back to the Skip Pete uh, administration, and the thing that I loved about Skip Pete, and I wrote a piece on this because he and I had a good conversation about it, the sledgehammer and the sword, the sledgehammer yep. and the sword. The way Skip Pete operated was – it wasn't about necessarily who was the starter. It was about the fact that Ezekiel Elliott's skill set was completely complementary to Tony Pollard's and vice versa. And that's how they worked well, and that's why the Cowboys had such an effective run game when those two complementary styles were in the building. What they're missing right now, like you said, 
is they're missing that complement, that complementary style. Tony, Par- everything Tony Pollard can do, Rico Dowdle can do. Everything Rico Dowdle can do, Tony Pollard can do. And the problem is, is those are your two top running backs. So when, whether no matter which one is in the game, the defense doesn't have to adjust. They already have the timing down. One thing that Skip Pete pointed out, which was magnificent, was that he would play Ezekiel Elliott to, you know, one down, three, two down, three downs to get the timing set up for the linebackers on the opposite side of the ball, and then he'd throw Tony in there who's quicker, who's a little bit faster. But now the angle, the, the approach, and the point of attacks are different. So they think that because now they have muscle memory over the last few snaps playing against Ezekiel Elliott, if I get to this point right now, that's a tackle for Ezekiel, on Ezekiel Elliott. But when it's Tony Pollard, if you get to that particular point, Tony's already gone. The problem in 2023 was it's Tony, it's Tony, it's Tony, and then you enter Rico, and guess what? It's the same quickness. It's the same. So you got to get somebody that's complimentary is what I'm saying. And, Pat, let's be completely honest here. It was Tony, Tony, Tony. Hey, Rico. Tony, Tony, Tony. There we go. Tony, it yeah, was it was hardly yeah. ever yeah. Tony, Tony, Rico, Rico, Rico. It was hardly. Yeah, it you know, wasn't even a split duty. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like Rico had – I mean, I didn't feel like I, I did the research, but you can go look at the numbers. I think he has some along the lines of like 10 games with less than seven carries, man. Might even be more than that. Probably was more than that. Yep. But it, it was it never – and this is what blew my mind, Pat. You, t- you brought up TP and Zeke, right, the tandem. That is the process, in my opinion. That's how you do it. You can swap out these two guys. I have no problem with that. But it, that's how, in my opinion, you do it. How do you see that for the last three years? You, you worked your way, finally, because it took like two seasons for you to work Tony in there as a true tandem with Zeke. And you saw that have some success. And then all of a sudden, you franchise tag Tony Pollard after you saw what it was like giving the ball to Zeke so many times in one year, and he gets wore down, you franchise tag him and you say, well, because we pay him, he's got to be the guy that toasts the rock 80% of the time. And look look what happened. It took him a while coming back from the injury. How do you look at just the success you had? And when I say success, it's, it's success, but they never really it never really followed over in the postseason. But the success you had in the regular season, for the most part, with a tandem backfield, and then you get to this season and you say, we're just going to roll with Tony Pollard. If you would have told me back in March, I would I would have said scrap this whole entire plan, screw yeah, franchise tagging Tony. It was never going to work. Come on, man, that's never going to work. So the plan has to change. Yeah, especially when you consider, yeah, especially when you consider one of the, the underlying concerns going into last season when it came to Tony Pollard was that he had not been the feature back since high school. It, that had that point had been hammered home a thousand times over the course of the months that went into the regular season. Yeah. What can Tony Pollard be as a feature back, considering he had not been a feature back in Memphis, he hadn't been a feature back since high school? And then what's your plan? Your plan is to make him the feature back to the point where it's not even a tandem anymore. Now we're completely looking at Tony Pollard in 2023 and saying, you know what? We're going to put you on a franchise tag, $10-plus million, fully guaranteed, and – and I'm as I'm sitting here wondering, I'm wondering if that was contractual as well in the aspect of, okay, if you want a long-term extension, then show us that you can carry most of the entire load. That's that should have never been the plan. <laughs> yeah, that's silly. Should have never been the plan. But it turns out that, be it contractual or any other reason, that was in fact the plan was to turn him into a feature back, a guy who had been a feature back since high school. And at the expense of another guy, Enrico, who was productive, very productive in the touches that he got. So the the whole plan, like you said, was it was doomed to fail 
from the beginning if that was, in fact, the plan from the beginning, and that cannot be a mistake. That's repeated. You need to upgrade the, the run game, and I do like that Mike McCarthy admitted that the run game um, was subpar. He outright admitted it. Okay, cool. It was below the line is how he put it. Fine. This is how you get it above the line. First mm-hmm. of all, make sure that your offensive line is blocking how it needs to. Health is going to be what health is. Hopefully guys stay healthy. But regardless of who is in, you need to make sure that they're all on the same page. That goes to offensive line coaching as well, which is a story for another day. Um, But then when you look at the running back core, again, first question, what's your plan? Is your plan to have one guy be a feature back? Because if that is your plan, then you have no one on the roster who can do that. No one. Second of all, being that that needs not to be your plan, you need to identify a complementary talent to either Tony or Rico and then have those other guys, Malik and Hunter and, and Deuce and Snoop, um, fight for behind them in training camp and let that kind of sort itself out. But, again, chainsaw, because the running game, I'm not going to say that it was a mess last year because it wasn't. I wrote it one of the Science Lab columns was that it was too middling for me. That was the problem. It was too middling. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. And then when it came to the point where it had to be good, like you said, it couldn't be good because it hadn't been good all year. Yeah, so it, it wasn't what reliable. Thing for the offense to get together. No, not at all. Yeah. But but to be fair to the run game, like you said, it, it was never really given a chance to be reliable. The plan going into the season for the run game was was doomed to fail, as we just sat here and said. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the group of talent that you had, the only complimentary piece that you really had was Deuce, but he didn't um, step up as a rookie to provide what you needed. So that completely left you with basically a, a doppelganger and an original. So you had Tony and Rico, which is his doppelganger as far as skill set is concerned, but those two things don't complement each other because they're the same thing. So there's no change of pace. There was one pace, and it made it easier for teams to key in on it when the Cowboys decided to run the ball, which was not often. So yeah. it, it became a one-dimensional team, and it's great that you can pass the ball and, and light up the scoreboard that way. Let's be clear, folks, we are not taking away from that because we've been waiting to see that from the Cowboys um, for a few years. I know we had it with Kellen, uh, with the Mari Cooper, you know, Aaron, things like that, but it kind of went back to running and now it's back to passing. Great. Where's the balance, though? Where's the fact that when your passing game is struggling, as it will a game or two, why can't you run the ball? And you can't run the ball because your plan was faulty and you don't have the complimentary pieces to do so. And and while we're spending a lot of time, this is my final thought on it here, uh, on on the actual players, yeah. I, I am very heavy on the, the, the scheme here. Um, because if you go look around the league, uh, we talk about like San Fran, uh, you know, I know they got, they, they, they have uh, uh, CMC now, but San Fran, Buffalo, Detroit, Washington, Miami. I mean, you, the, these guys have, schemes that are plug and play for a talented back. You don't necessarily have to be a Derrick Henry in his prime. You can be David Montgomery. You can be Jared Cook. You can be Elijah Mitchell. You can be Jeff Wilson. You can be Raheem Mozart, 31 years old, and he leads the league in rushing touchdowns because their scheme is in place. Hell, if you look at Washington, they didn't even like to run the ball. But when they did run the ball, they had a pretty high yards per carry in doing so. So if I'm looking at Mike Solari, I'm looking at whoever the run game coordinator is, you guys need to come up with a scheme that can be plug and play because, in my opinion, that is the wave now moving forward of the future of the run game. At the end of the day, everything you said is 100% accurate. 
and what the Cowboys need to do is scrap everything they had planned for the run game going into 2023 and get right back to the drawing board. Look at 2022, look at 2021, say, okay, what was the, why were we successful? Hey, hell, go all the way back to 2016. From 2016 forward, why were we successful? Mm-hmm. We were successful because we had an offensive line that could get the job done. We had an offensive line coach that could get the job done. And we had a feature back that the league feared. And we had a complimentary back that was fearsome as well because when he came into the game, being on a 51-49 split in, on any given direction, because sometimes it was Tony that actually started the game, right? Quiet as it's kept. Sometimes it was Zeke. But the fact that you had those two pieces that were so complimentary, you had the offensive line being coached up the right way, you had the right running scheme that was working effectively, that's what you need to get back to. So let's not get cute in 2024 because in 2023, I think they kind of outthought themselves. Right. Yeah. Get yeah. back to the basics of what worked, and don't be afraid. Yeah, Skip Pete's no longer in the building, much to my chagrin. But feel free to borrow from his concepts, right? Because yeah. just because the teacher's not in the building doesn't mean the lessons had to leave with him. Bars, as usual. <laughs> this next question, I really wanted to 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 get your opinion on this because you you've been in that locker room, uh, you know some of these players behind the scenes. And uh, I have some thoughts as well on it. But good question here from A.A. Ron. He watches the show all the time. Big, big supporter. Appreciate you. He says, who would be your obvious choice of player or players to take well to Zimmer's style? And who would be your not obvious player that could surprise us and adhere to harder coaching? Oh, I think, uh, you know, I think a player like Demarcus Lawrence is going to take well. Mm-hmm. To, to Zimmer style uh, and in you know Tank's very weird comments notwithstanding that was so strange I, I can't wrap my head around where that came from the whole burnt out thing because that's never been his, Dude his had a brain bag. I don't know where that came from <laughs> yeah I, you know either that or he was trying to protect somebody and he just threw himself under the bus uh. which is noble but yeah that's just not his character but I'm gonna since that's not his character I'm gonna pretend that that didn't happen and overall if you look at how Tank leads the locker room um, as far as his aggressiveness and, and uh, how hungry he is and how demanding he is that guys are, you know, playing to a certain standard. I think that that's exactly what Mike Zimmer is coming in to do and, and hold guys accountable. Tank, he's the king of holding guys accountable in the locker room. He is not afraid to, to challenge you no matter who you are. It doesn't matter because he's Tank, right? He's been here uh, the longest. He He's the one that uh, could arguably be in the ring of honor one day if the rest of his career shapes up, uh, you know, well. So there's no one in the locker room that doesn't respect Tank. Mm. And I think that when you look at his style of, of player coaching, because there's always this micro coaching going on from player to player as well within the locker room, I think that Mike Zimmer's style will marry exactly to what Tank has already been doing. So when it comes to Zimmer coaching Tank, I think that's that's an easy one. Um, and there are others as well. I think yeah. um, uh, Osa will, will definitely benefit from his style. Um, yeah, he's my surprise. And, I mean, you guy. can kind of go down the line as well. Yeah, you can go down the line. Now, here's who I'm interested to see because I, I heard the other side of that question: who might, uh, you know, who might take a moment to acclimate? I think it will go to some of the younger guys, and I'm zeroing in right on Mozzie Smith this week. Mm. And because number one, we need to know what Zimmer's plan for Mozzie was because whatever Quinn's plan for Mozzie, oh no. No, 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 no. That was a disaster. <laughs> that was that was disastrous, yeah. disastrous. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, it might have stolen some of the uh, some of the confidence from the from the young rookie. 
So Zimmer's going to come in, and hopefully the new plan for Monty Smith, you know, reestablishes some confidence there. But Monty's going to have to get used to some tough coaching, and you know, I wonder, I wonder how he's going to react to that. Uh, and I don't, I'm not saying that to say that he's, you know, mentally soft or anything like that. I say that to say when you're talking about a young guy in the second year going to a new defensive coordinator after having a down rookie season with the first defensive coordinator, you got a lot of things going on in your head um, as far as confidence that needs to be rebuilt, uh, that you can play the position and that you can play at a high level. But also, what position are you playing? Because you're sized up right now for three tech, but you came in at one tech, is Zimmer going to put you back at one tech, which means you got to put 30, 40 pounds back on. So there's going to be a lot going on for Mozzie Smith over the next several months with Mike Zimmer, and coaching style is going to be one of them. Plan is going to be the other one. Um, coaching up his technique because, as you heard Zimmer say, some of the things that make him quote-unquote grouchy, um, lack of fundamentals, lack of technique, lack of discipline. Uh, technique, they're still trying to work on Mozzie Smith's technique. So Mozzie doesn't come along quickly enough. Zimmer gets grouchy. What does that dynamic look like? So we'll, we'll see how that works. I, I love Zimmer's coaching style for what the Cowboys need right now. I think it's perfect for what they need right now. I think guys like Tank will help kind of serve as a bridge to help guys like Mozzie Smith, some of these younger guys who have not been around a, a coaching style like Zimmer, kind of acclimate quickly. And you're going to need that because uh, Zim's coming in and, He's not coming in holding roses and Valentine's Day cards. <laughs> nah, I, I got a few obvious answers here uh, for who I think will take well, and, and one of them is a veteran if he returns, and Stephon Gilmore. Uh, he's a guy that you know played under Bill Belichick, and uh, Zim is a defensive backs coach, right? So I, I feel like whatever coaching that he gets, I think he'll actually lean on Steph, to be honest, and say, hey, man, this is what I need you to relay right. to these guys. Maybe not in the manner that I'm going to do it, but this is what I'm looking for because he's very technical uh, in his approach. And the other one is Trayvon Diggs. You know, Diggs played under Nick Saban. Mm. I mean, this okay. is this is not going to be a shocker oh, to Diggs, perfect. bro. You know, <laughs> and, 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 and Diggs is going to get coached. By Zim, trust and believe. There's a and I, I wanted to chop it up, but I'm remote today. Uh, there's a uh, audio uh, out when he was talking to Marvin Lewis, uh, and he was talking about Trayvon Diggs, and he was very complimentary of Diggs. But you can tell, see, Zim ain't been away like y'all think. But you can tell he's watching and studying him because he's like, hey, you know, sometimes technically he's flawed, but he's such a good player. He's able to make plays. He can be boomer bust. All the things that we 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 know from Trayvon Diggs. So I'm pretty sure that Zim is going to come in and say, hey, Diggs, needs you to clean up some things technically. You did that the previous season. Your interceptions went down, but you locked it up a little better, right? Imagine if we continue to develop that, and, and you're, you're now just completely shutting down the entire side of the field, a la Daryl Rivas type stuff. Not saying he'll go there, but if Zim can coach him up that way, um, I think Diggs can go right back to being an all-pro if he comes back healthy. So, you know, Diggs, Gilmore, Juan Ye, because he talked about it. I, you know, Juan Ye said, hey, I want to be coached hard. I think those are obvious ones. Um, a surprise? I got two surprise ones for you here. Sam Williams. Um, Sam Williams could surprisingly <laughs> adhere here because I think he needs it. And I, I think Sam Williams right. needs somebody to get on him in this manner. But not, not in a – not in a um, – who was the defensive coordinator prior? Not in a Mike Nolan way, Pat, but in a way where I'm going to sit you down, I'm going to give it to you real, but, but because I, I see the potential in you and you need this. And if he can't adhere, then Sam, I think, will be the next boss man fat. That's just how I look at it, Pat, for Sam Williams, that is. No, 
You no, know, for Sam, that that's going to be an interesting one, definitely, because Sam, I will say this, and I've said this before, while Sam has um, an issue sometimes with the the, the self-discipline aspect of it, and you could talk about the penalties, some of the, you know, the off-the-field things, whatever the case may be, uh, though that's true. But it's also true that Sam Williams is extremely coachable. He is extremely coachable because he wants to be great. He wants to be on the field. He wants to do the right things. So because you have someone who's so wildly coachable like Sam, I think he'll take well to Mike Zimmer. I think he's going to mm-hmm. eat that, that up, to be honest. Um, because that Mike Zimmer's coming in die hard, tough nose, you know, hard nosed ball coach. I think Sam, and it's not like Sam is himself not used to that. I mean, this this is a Southern boy, right? This is yeah. Ole Miss. This, he's he's coming in with this, and I and I and also he got it from the mud. So, uh. yeah, he, that's what I mean. So you know, there you go. And, and when you talk about Trayvon, yes, you're talking about a guy who came in coached by Nick Saban, who is an old school ball coach like uh, uh, Mike Zimmer, who's an old school ball coach like others like Steve Spurrier and things like that. If you were coached by Saban, you already know what's up. You already know what's up. Yeah. But here's the added layer to it, and, and this is kind of what I was intimating um, pre-hire when it was just candidacy and, and, you know, we were ranking who we wanted and, you know, who we would have not preferred, and I was completely off the Rex Ryan thing, whatever. whatever. <laughs> uh, when you talk about Zimmer, for those that are unaware of Zimmer's coaching history, when he was first with the Cowboys, his first 13-year stint with the Cowboys, he started as a defensive assistant, and then he went to, guess what, folks, a defensive backs coach. He was a defensive backs coach. So he coached the likes of Terrence Newman. He coached mm-hmm. Deion Sanders. And now you focus on him doing the same for Trayvon Diggs, doing the same for Deron Bland, and keeping a guy like Al Harris in the building. I mean, what we've seen from Trayvon Diggs, what we've seen from Deron Bland. Special. I think that there is a chance that those things can be that much more special with Zimmer in the building 